This is Out of Office for the 17th of October 2013. How the internet has changed the workplace. Welcome to the Out of Office podcast, where you'll learn how to work from virtually anywhere by using the internet for greater convenience, comfort, and freedom. Your hosts are Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira. Hello, Chris. How are you going? Um, well, thanks, Gihan. Just come back from a week down south, exploring yes. all that the Southwest has to offer. How yeah, about fantastic. You? That, was a, that was a bit of a holiday, was it? It was. It was school holidays, so uh, we took the week off and uh, explored the great southern and southwest. Yeah, and it's great that it seems like spring has finally come to, finally come to Perth, at, at least. And it, That's right. It hadn't come to the southwest, unfortunately. Oh, sorry to hear that. But it has been really nice nice mornings. I was up at 5 o'clock this morning, and uh, it's really nice seeing light at this time of the morning. And I've, I've just signed up for a one-month fitness group fitness program, Chris. So well, only one month. Only for a month. It was a, exactly, that uh, not everyone can be as trim as you. Yes. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about how the internet has changed the workplace, which is actually what we talk about every time. But most of our discussion on this podcast has been about what we call out of office from an employee's viewpoint, so somebody who wants to work away from an office. But today we're going to change our perspective and consider it from the other point of view, which is the employer's point of view. So if you are an out-of-office worker, you might find this podcast episode useful because it might give you different insights. And also you might want to ask your boss to listen to this episode if you're trying to convince her or him to give you more flexibility and freedom in the way that you work. And if you are an employer listening to this, this might give you some ideas about why you might want to allow your employees to work from home. And we'll talk about some of the benefits and some of the myths about working from home and the pros and cons of it. Yeah, so why don't we start by defining what we mean by the out-of-office environment uh, or telecommuting or remote working or telework because there are several different scenarios. I think people might be surprised by the, the breadth of the range of telecommuting scenarios. So we could start with the part-time telecommuter, so that's someone who spends a bit of time working in a traditional office and a bit of time working remotely, say from home. It could be a couple of days a week at home and the rest of the time in the office. Then there's a full-time telecommuter, and I think that describes my work style pretty well. I work full-time from home for people who are situated largely in the Northern Hemisphere, so Europe, UK, and the US. And, you know, the when I was working on site, uh, I would be going into a traditional office environment. Now I might visit the office once every, oh, for one week every year or two. Then there's the digital nomad. And Gihan, can you remember who coined the phrase digital nomad? No, I can't remember, but it's a phrase that we've adopted for the, the sort of person who works independently. I would be somebody who is classified as a digital nomad. I have an office at home, but I also spend quite a bit of time working in cafes or other people's offices or I'm traveling from hotel rooms or wherever. And uh, in other words, I don't necessarily have a fixed office, even if I spend a lot of time in my home office. That's right. So, I mean, you've travelled as part of your work as a as a conference speaker and uh, as a as a um, enabler and teacher, but also for pleasure. And when you've travelled for pleasure, Gihan, you've also continued uh, to operate your business when you've been on the road. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of pleasure working and working and uh, having holidays at the same time. Exactly. Um, and we can also think of not just about the individual, but you can think about teams. So many large. Uh, multinational corporations have teams that are globally distributed and for all intents and purposes the members of those globally distributed teams are working remotely with respect to each other. 
Uh, and that's certainly the case uh, for my work. I'm not only a full-time telecommuter, but I'm also a member of several teams whose members are in places like India and Egypt and Europe. Then many uh, corporations have mobile workforces, so they might have employees who are people like sales reps or consultants who spend most of their time visiting clients and customers, uh, and so they're working remotely whilst they're on the road. And finally, you might be engaging freelance contractors or outsourcing work to them through talent markets. And again, they might not be coming into your office and working on site with you. They may be conducting their work remotely from you full time. So that's uh, one aspect of the out-of-office work, work scenario. That is where people are working. But it's not just about where people work. It's also when they're working. For instance, people might be working full time, as many of us do, but there's also part-time and ad hoc or casual arrangements. So you could consider someone like a, uh, a working mum who is returning to work after maternity leave. She might be telecommuting all of the time, but only for a couple of days a week. Similarly, uh, you might uh, be engaging freelance contractors, uh, someone who, someone like a graphic designer, you might bring them in for a particular project and they could be like a 100% uh, virtual member of your team. They don't uh, work alongside you in the office and uh, they, they're, only being, they're only working for you for that particular project on the, the, the aspect that you need them for. And finally, you might have ad hoc teams that you bring together for a project. So they might all be employees of a particular organisation and you might draw them together because they have specific skills that are relevant to the project. And once the project is complete, they go back to uh, the different roles that they had prior to that. What all of, these, uh, all of these scenarios have in common is that they don't fit in with that traditional Monday to Friday, nine to five daily commute working in a traditional office scenario. Uh, they're all much different from that. And I think that that, that traditional scenario is something that uh, is gradually disappearing, Gihan. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Chris. And, th and thanks for outlining all of those different scenarios, because I think when we first started researching this area a few years ago, the idea of telecommuting was just mainly seen as you either have people working from home or you have people working in the office. And now just the way that work has changed and the way that more and more people are using the internet and the cloud, there's so many other scenarios that, that facilitate people working in different ways. And we're already seeing that the traditional work style, which is that whole nine to five, Monday to Friday, already appears to be in decline. There was one survey that suggested or one report suggesting that in a few years time four out of ten US professionals will be working from home at least occasionally and already we're seeing that uh, telecommuting is growing much faster than the workplace is growing so we're already seeing it's happening and one of the big drivers for it is that employees want it so workers want to have more freedom and flexibility and the idea of being a telecommuter has obvious benefits to workers and employees because it gives them a number of things such as flexible working hours they don't have to commute through traffic they don't have to spend money on petrol and car maintenance and uh, public transport fees and parking and all of that they they also tend to work in a much more familiar work environment because they're quite often working from home, which does mean that they are more productive typically and they are working around people that they like. Well, we hope that they like their family, they're around, um, but they, they are working in a much, much nicer work environment. And one of the benefits of this is it actually gives them greater responsibility. And we'll talk a little bit about some of those things later, Chris, but employees who work from home do feel a little bit more in control of their work. So there are a number of benefits to that. Um, I wouldn't yet say 
that telecommuting is a norm, but that also means that it's treated as a bit of a job perk. And that's good for leaders and managers because there are employees who see it because they see it as a perk. Some some employees would choose it over a pay rise. Um, And in fact, there's some research that says that some would even take a pay cut if they could work from home. So in terms of offering benefits to employees, telecommuting can be can be a really effective way of offering a benefit that not only is effective for the organization, but is also something that's desirable for the employees. And you also mentioned, Chris, that telecommuting is particularly attractive for certain types of employees. You mentioned the idea of uh, professional women returning to work after maternity leave, and that's certainly an area that that is really in high demand. And it's an area of the workforce that probably has been neglected for a while, that there's, there are all these very skilled people, particularly these women who are on maternity leave, who would love to go back to work, but they just can't go back to work five days a week. So they would love to have the option to be telecommuters. The other, the other group of people who, again, are quite often ignored and perhaps we're missing out on some of their potential are, are older workers. So workers who are close to retirement or could retire, uh, say between the ages of 55 and 64, who say that they would love to go back to work, but on their own terms, which quite often means part-time and working from home and organizations and the country is missing out on the, the wisdom and the experience that those workers have if they don't provide any sort of way for them to be telecommuters. Yeah, Gihan. So I think the flexible arrangements that you're talking about, they're really attractive from two aspects for leaders in that it helps with recruitment. And then once you've got those people recruited, it helps to retain them and uh, prevents the brain drain and loss of knowledge that you suffer from when people leave your organisation. So you've already mentioned a couple of groups of people uh, that uh, find flexible work arrangements from telecommuting a real uh, a work, a job perk. Uh, in fact, you know, happy to consider a pay cut in order to uh, to get that job perk um, or would choose it over a pay rise. But uh, as well as people returning to work after maternity or paternity leave, uh, when it comes to recruitment, Gen Y uh, research shows are very difficult to recruit, but they are really attracted towards the flexible work arrangements that telecommuting provides. And uh, once you've got your Gen Ys on board, then again, retaining them uh, is uh, really valuable and again they're really hard to retain so those flexible work arrangements and telecommuting arrangements really help to keep them on board and you mentioned also uh, people like uh, the boomers and the retirees uh, once they're getting to the ends of their careers rather than uh, just leaving uh, and retiring full-time many of them do want to continue in a, a, semi, a semi-retired arrangement and flexible work arrangements and telecommuting can help keep them on board for longer than would otherwise be the case if they just went into full-time retirement. And it's the same uh, uh, when people are relocating. So when I was working for the people that I currently work for back in 99 and 2000, I was on a working holiday and it was always, always my intention and my wife's intention to return from the UK to Australia. So at the end of that period, I said to my boss, you know, uh, I'm going back to Perth. Can I keep my job? And uh, he said, yeah, look, let's let's give it a go. And uh, 13 years later, I'm still working remotely for that organization. So retaining employees by being able to offer them uh, the possibility of remote work is a really good way uh, of doing that. And also, it might not just be that... Uh, the worker themselves is deciding to move. They might be forced to move because maybe their spouse or a member of their family has to move for some particular reason. If they can work remotely and stay with them, then that's a a real bonus for your business. 
Yeah, that's right. And as we've said, there's there's lots of reasons why employers, leaders and managers, organizations in general should be considering telecommuting. And uh, I guess we should also say that we're we're unashamedly flying the flag for telecommuting because there, even though there might be some downsides, we really believe that it's a, it's a way of the future. And some organizations get it. And some there are some people who definitely see the advantages, but it's not all good news either. So on the positive side, most businesses now, especially large businesses, already have the ability for staff to be able to use the internet to work from home. Whether they're using it or not is another question, but they have the ability to do that. And that's particularly true for large organizations. The Australian Bureau of Stats reported that. But even micro-businesses are now setting themselves up so that their employees and their staff members can work from home. And the reports are that most of them say it's a positive experience because of things like productivity, because they can use communications technology to be more efficient, and because, for the reasons that we mentioned, people like the flexibility of being able to work from home. So all of that's good news, but many leaders and managers say that it's dis- disruptive to the workplace. And, and also, they find that it's hard to manage virtual workers. And that is one of the challenges, because the way that you manage your telecommuting workers or your home office workers are a little bit different from the way that you'd manage other workers. And we'll get to that. So some of those objections that we get, they, they do make sense, especially if organizations are just getting into telecommuting, because it's a quite a different cultural shift. But those sort of things, those objections can be overcome if you think about the workplace differently. There are some myths about virtual teams. Well, let's go through some of those myths, Chris, because they can actually stop organizations from gaining the benefits of telecommuting. Uh, they might even stop them from starting in the first place. And that's a, that's a real pity. Now, it's not to say that every organization will be able to overcome every objection easily, but at least it's worth knowing about some of the things that might be in your mind that you might think are going to stop you from getting going with telecommuting. So let's talk about five of these common myths. And if you identify with any of them, you might be surprised that the reality might be slightly different from what you're expecting. Okay, so the first myth is that with virtual teams, it's difficult to build trust. But the reality is that it's not more difficult, it's just different. So with in-person teams, the way that trust is built is through physical presence. So team members may well socialise during the day or after hours. They might go out to lunch together or go out to dinner afterwards or play sports together. And the conversations that they have around the water cooler, they're probably personal conversations, what they got up to on the weekend or how their family and kids are going. But with virtual teams, the way that trust is built is through their professional behaviour and the results they get by working together on tasks. So there, the trust is built around things like how reliable the team members are, their consistency, how well they keep promises and how responsive they are to uh, task needs. Yeah, that's right. So that's one area where it's it's different rather than just difficult. And the, the second one is related to that, Chris. So the second myth that we're going to that we're going to cover is many managers and leaders say you just can't build synergy in a virtual team, which means that you don't get as much collaboration and innovation. And again, the uh, the the reality is, yeah, you can build synergy. It just has to be done intentionally rather than just letting it happen by accident. You know, there there the legendary stories about breakthroughs that happen because there are conversations that happen, as you said, around a water cooler, or people pass each other in a hallway, or they sit together at the office canteen. For example, one of the things I read about Google, Chris, is that they will they they figure out how to maximize or optimize the length of the 
queue at the office canteen to allow people from different departments to just have casual conversations while they're waiting to order their food mm. <laughs> because they figure out that that's a way to create this sort of incidental uh, synergistic opportunities. Those opportunities just don't happen in virtual teams, and that's that's absolutely true. But it doesn't mean the synergy can't happen. It just has to happen in other ways. And you have to design it into the whole process and maybe have to do a little bit more work up front to make sure that uh, that synergy happens during the normal day-to-day business. So, for example, with the virtual team, you'd want to include them in at the start of the project to work together on things like the mission statement, the core values, the objectives of the project, so that they feel like they're part of a team rather than just these isolated individuals around the country or around the world who are just contributing little bits and pieces. So it makes them feel like part of a team. Uh, Another thing you can do is just be proactive in anticipating and then handling potential conflicts and problems so that they don't simmer in in the background and Things happening in the background is probably a bigger risk for virtual teams because you don't see them every day. So you can't necessarily monitor the energy and the body language and nonverbal cues that you could get from an in-person team. And the third thing is, uh, and you touched on this earlier, Chris, is that you can, even with virtual teams, schedule some some in-person meetings and conferences. So you say you'd be, you go to a conference every year or two where you actually get to meet in person, some of the people that that you would otherwise only interact with are virtually uh, online, either by email or maybe even just on conference calls. But it's quite a different experience, isn't it, when you actually get to meet them in person? Yeah, it sure is. It sure is. And I think that feeds into this third myth, Gihan, about virtual team members feeling more isolated and detached. The reality, though, is it just isn't so. So research shows that it's only about a third of people who feel that they are isolated or detached if they're working remotely. These are the kinds of people who probably thrive on the interpersonal dynamics that you get in a traditional office environment. So the way to be effective with such people is to create an environment that's supportive and addresses the sorts of problems that isolation and detachment uh, might have on those people. And the way that you can do that, for instance, is to uh, make sure that you're inclusive when you're having team meetings and discussions, Uh, make sure that you take efforts to include people and make sure they all have a say and a voice in the meeting and their their communications. Also, you 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 can work harder to communicate with those people. You've got to draw a fine line. You don't want to overdo it. There is research that shows that if you're over communicative, that that can have the opposite effect and it can, it can be isolating as well. And finally, for those people who do like those interpersonal dynamics, then you can uh, make special arrangements to, to, for them to have more face time. So depending on their role, they can have client meetings or sales meetings, or they can be sent to conferences or, uh, or get together face to face in maybe um, some social team building aspect uh, when that's possible. Yeah, great, great. And this next myth actually kind of builds on some of the things that we've alluded to. And so the myth is that many managers and leaders think that technical skills for virtual workers are more important than interpersonal skills. And that just isn't true either. So the reality is that if, if anything, interpersonal skills are even more important in virtual teams. But it's not surprising to understand where that myth comes from because managers would see that in an in-person team, people are in the same office every day, they're sharing the same space, they are in the same environment. So you think that interpersonal differences are going to cause more of a problem. So you think, okay, well, with a virtual team, you don't have as much interaction. So it's it's um, 
it's minimal interaction in person. So you think, okay, well, that doesn't matter then if they have annoying habits or they're, 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 not, they're not very good people, people, as long as they can do their job. But actually, that doesn't turn out to be the case. And you may have even been a manager who's been in that sort of position where a team has failed because of mm. what turns out to be interpersonal communication problems. The, the reason is because interpersonal skills are just, just as important in a virtual team and sometimes even more important because people aren't interacting directly as, uh, as often. So especially if you're an experienced manager and you know how to pick up danger signals from your team and you've been experienced with in-person teams, then you might pick up those sort of things subconsciously and you know when to take action. Whereas with a virtual team, you may not know that. And the team members themselves may not know how to communicate when they've got problems. So they can't rely on nonverbal cues and group dynamics. They may not know effective ways to give feedback. So they might lash out at other team members and the other team members have no idea what's going on because they don't know what's going on in that person's life and so they take that on face value or written value and that can cause problems within the team. Virtual team members have to have very strong interpersonal skills and actually managing a virtual team also means that you have to have very strong interpersonal skills as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the final myth is that with virtual teams, it's difficult to accurately measure and reward performance, whereas in reality, it's just that the methods for doing so are different, but the results are are the same. And I'd even go so far as to say they can be better. Some leaders are worried that uh, if you can't see someone, you can't observe them, you can't measure and monitor their behavior and the, the team's performance. But uh, we'd suggest that instead what the approach that leaders take is that they measure results rather than effort and time put into achieving those results. Once you've done that, uh, I think that you're going to get a much better way of assessing people, uh, whether they're uh, in-person member of a team or uh, members of a virtual team, you're going to get much better measures of performance by looking at results rather than effort put in. And finally, people who are working uh, as members of a virtual team are going to be less affected by the kinds of in-office problems and frictions such as uh, uh, office politics, uh, the kind of time wasting that sometimes goes on, a bit of uh, absenteeism and also the opposite which is presenteeism, so just turning up uh, uh, and uh, putting in the hours but not actually uh, getting work done. So uh, the results aren't, aren't aren't being shown and aren't being measured. Yeah, these should be good things, shouldn't they, Chris? So so all of these should be seen by managers and leaders as, wow, these are really positive things because if you want to improve productivity and improve workplace engagement, you don't want to be worried by things like office politics and people doing things just to be seen to be doing the right things. You actually want people to be doing the right things. Absolutely. All right, so I think we've... uh made a compelling argument for embracing telework in in your organization and it's not about um i guess jumping in uh, uh, with both feet you can test the waters that's the way that i got started with a pilot program so i did a six-month trial and uh, it worked well and 13 years later i'm still doing it so you can take that that approach if you like so uh you don't have to commit to it long term you can do a short-term trial and it doesn't have to be for everybody you can offer it to a few people within a team or or across your organization to find out how well it works for you. And well, as you said, we are moving towards a situation where telecommuting is going to become the norm rather than considered a perk or the exception. And the reason for that is there's just so much upside, which is what we've been talking about for, for, this, uh, for this interview. Uh, if, if the competitive advantage is not enough for you, then the upside and the advantages of it should be. Great. Thanks, Chris. As you know, we always have links to some of our references and we, we talked about a number of research 
studies and reports, and we'll have links to those in the podcast notes at outofofficebook.com. Another thing that we're doing for this particular topic is because it is such an important topic for employers, we also have recorded a fuller version of this interview, this conversation, a longer version that talks more about some of the benefits for employers, for leaders and managers. And we've created that as a CD program, which you can also buy at outofofficebook.com. So if you'd like to know more, find out even more about why you should be considering the out-of-office environment for yourselves and for your teams, then please go to outofofficebook.com and buy the CD. Yeah, or you might know someone, uh, a leader, a business leader, who you think would find this interesting or who's considering telecommuting and uh, you can point them in the direction of outofofficebook.com. Yeah, absolutely. So it's time for me to get on my bike and do my own out-of-office work, Chris, for the day. Very good. (laughs) So thank you again. It's been very enjoyable and we'll be back with another podcast episode soon. Will do. Thanks, Kihan. Bye. Visit our website at outofofficebook.com where you can read all our show notes, subscribe to the podcast, and get our book out of office. We wish you all the best in creating the work style of your choice.